Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double On WNBA Podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak with Steven Trinkwald. We are continuing along, chugging right along with our 2022 WNBA team outlooks. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Seattle Storm, Steven. The Seattle Storm last season went 21-11 and in the regular season. That was good for the number four seed. They were third uh, net rating-wise at positive 5.2. Pretty good team. Uh, offensively, they were the fourth best offense in the league at 103.6 offensive rating. And then defensively, they were fifth, 98.4. Um, they were able to secure the single buy to start the playoffs before losing at home to the Phoenix Mercury on their home floor in overtime in a game uh, without Brianna Stewart, who missed the end of the season with a left Achilles injury. So they uh, started out great, didn't turn out too great after that. Um, much better first half team than a second half team. But and they did win the Commissioner's Cup. They did win so the Commissioner's Cup. Uh, I think people were a little less excited about that after we found out kind of how that money got dispersed. But yeah. um, but good for them. Yeah, I don't know, the Commissioner's Cup. Was that exciting for you, Eric? Well, I had a I had trouble actually keeping up with like what games were actually included in the Commissioner's Cup. Probably my own fault. But um I don't know, that that whole concept of the Commissioner's Cup I think could have been better executed. I, I like the idea, but they, they just did a very poor job of making it seem important to us everyday fans. Um so while the storm obviously had some incentive to win it, uh the Sun, who I believe they defeated in, in the Commissioner's Cup, obviously didn't really care that much, so I will I'll, I'll defer to them. Uh, so as I mentioned, the Seattle Storm were quite good before the All-Star break, the Olympic break, I guess I should call it, uh, and then kind of suffered a little bit of a, a setback. They um, they were the number two offense in the league before the break at 105.3, all the way down to sixth uh, after the break, 100.3, so five points worse offensively per 100 possessions, and... Uh, just about three points worse defensively as well. 97.2, like a, a really, really stout defense before the break, and then 100.8 defensive rating after the break. So, I mean, I think, you know, the easiest thing to kind of point to is fatigue. This team had a ton of high-level rotation players, like their stars uh, and even some of their role players, you know, were involved in Olympic competition. But, you know, you, you just kind of go player by player here and, and you kind of see why this team wasn't able to you know sustain over the course of the second half i think the one player who comes to mind immediately you know kind of dropping off there is jewel lloyd uh but Subert also had a massive massive drop off at least scoring efficiency wise yeah i think narrative wise i think you're right you know when, when people kind of think about the the drop off it's jewel lloyd kind of having big games you know through three quarters and then maybe not being able to kind of finish those games out i, I want to say maybe one of those games was against the sky one of them was definitely against yeah. the liberty um in a game that stewart and bird both did not play but you know statistically the the massive drop off like you're saying did come with sue bird who before the break 62 percent true shooting and then after the break 49 percent true shooting and she she just couldn't hit a shot you know her her two-point shooting was way down. Her three-point shooting was way down. And I think one other thing that stuck out to me in terms of, like, the, the defense, you know, you never want to kind of pin defensive struggles on one player, especially a point guard. But, um, you know, pretty much all of Seattle's other kind of high-level rotation players had fairly positive defensive on-off splits 
even in the second half of the season, but the defense was 10 points better per 100 possessions when Sue Berg was on the bench. And, you know, you might think, well, yeah, she's pretty old. She's kind of slow for her position. Um, But, you know, that's not necessarily the case usually. You know, the first half, the defense was a little better, right? Like two points per 100 possessions better. You know, they were pretty much the same on or off in the bubble. Um, You know, so, so this team is not normally just getting killed defensively when Sue Bird was out there. Uh, And again, I don't think, you know, you can just point at Sue Bird. Like she was just, you know, the reason why they had a a huge drop off defensively. But yeah, it was notable for sure. Well, opponents were definitely hunting Sue Bird on defense. Um, And I think part of that on off number is that her backup was Jordan Canada, who's one of the better uh, point of attack defenders in the game. So that might have a little bit to do with it. But yeah, I agree at this point in Bird's career, um, you know, she's obviously already on the uh, the load management plan, if you want to call it that, and probably not expending too much energy on defense. But, but Eric, she was she was third in minutes on this team last year. They were not yeah, really um, load managing her. You know, she sat a couple of games, but other than that, you know, she was. I don't think either one of us at this time last year was going to believe that Suberg would be third in total minutes played for this team. Well, I mean, ideally she would have been on a load management program, but maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but you know, maybe that's maybe that's the the problem, Stephen. Is that these these high level players who, I don't want to say they're not durable, but they they were kind of breaking down, and that's maybe there's a correlation there between the minutes that Bird was playing and you know, uh, her jump shot failing her. I mean, she's one of the best jump shooters in, in in league history, but when her true shooting percentage falls off that much towards the end of the season, there, I would be tempted to say there's something there. Yeah, I mean, you you do kind of have to obviously like fatigue is kind of the easy thing to point to, but I mean, look this. There was not a, a long layoff between, uh, especially for the teams that played in that Commissioner's Cup game, between kind of returning home from the Olympics and right. getting back into the swing of things in, in the WNBA season. So, you know, they did sit her, I think, two games, I want to say. But, you know, maybe it just it wasn't enough. And this team was obviously pushing for seeding and, you know, probably didn't end up getting the seeding they were hoping for. But, yeah, I mean, it obviously there was there was something there. I I. I don't think anything has been said about like health or anything like that. I, I think, you know, you just kind of have to point to tired legs. It's, it's definitely a possibility. And I want to mention a quick note about the defense here. Um, you mentioned they, their, their defense kind of fell off after the break. Um, they were actually much better at forcing turnovers after the break than they were before the break. 15.7% opposing turnover percentage before the break and 19.4% opposing turnover percentage after the break. So there is actually kind of an inverse relationship between how many turnovers they're forcing and their overall defensive efficiency. Um, you know, I guess the only other thing there is, is that, you know, other opposing teams are just making more shots <laughs> against them in the second half. So this is where I really kind of an aside, I really wish the WNBA stats page had like that specific tracking data that the NBA stats page has. Because we could see like, okay, how many um, how many shots at the storm were allowing were wide open? Like, was it poor rotation defense? Was it something else? Yeah, and, yeah. and to your point, Eric, you know, there was like a little bit of shooting luck in both ways. Like before the break, opponents were shooting 30% on threes. Uh, and then after the break, they were shooting 39%. So, oh, wow. you know, when you're when you're only dealing with, you know, 10 to 20 game samples, um, shooting luck is, is going to kind of mean the world to, to that type of stuff. And then even the free throw shooting, brand, yeah. you know, 87% after the break compared to below 80% uh, before the break. So, so definitely some shooting luck kind of driving down those defensive numbers. So they need to improve their free throw defense, right? Um, I, I do remember uh, our good friend M. Adler at the Next. She mentioned several times on Twitter that uh, the Storm are having a lot of 
make or miss games going against them in the second half of the season. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that was just defensive breakdowns um, or however many wide open shots they were giving up. Again, I really wish the WNBA.com stats page would have that specific tracking data. But okay, I just wanted to mention that um, we can get back to the uh, the overall fall off because it, it was definitely a, almost a team wide theme for this storm team last season. Yeah. But, and I am glad you brought that up because I think adding that context of the, the shooting luck was pretty important to kind of how the, the defense went, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and the same could be said offensively, right? We mentioned birds, massive drop off in efficiency and, and bird was really the biggest one. You know, Brianna Stewart was 56 and percent true shooting before the break, 53% after the break also missed a bunch of time, you know, Jewel Lloyd, 56 and percent before the break, 51% true shooting after the break. So these are, you know, incremental decreases um, and, and notable ones, right? Like three, 3% for Stewart, 5% for uh, Lloyd, but you know, nothing in terms of like, you know, the 13 point uh, percentage points that we saw from Sue Bird. But I mean, I, I did kind of want to just talk about Brianna Stewart a, a little bit, like obviously was not able to finish the season due to that Achilles injury, did not go play overseas this off season, but you know, even before the injury, Career low two point percentage, career low three point percentage, and naturally with those two, a career low in true shooting, just over fifty six percent, which is you know still better than some of the other kind of star bigs, seventy uh, third percentile overall. So when when you're just kind of wondering you know where Stewart is at at this point in her career, you know the free throw attempts are are holding steady, which I think is a good sign for kind of how aggressive she's being offensively. You know she's not necessarily relying on you know, jump shooting more so than uh, when she was younger and maybe more athletic. And I think she's still as impactful as ever as a defender, specifically as a help defender. But things might be trending in the wrong way offensively. Would you say that's another fatigue thing? Um, Because the reason I ask is because, you know, obviously she did suffer that Achilles injury, which is the the other foot, the other Achilles that she had surgically repaired um, a couple seasons ago. So... Is that like a wear and tear thing, do you think? You know, just from, from, from putting too much stress on it? Or because, I mean, I, if you're if you're having that poor of a jump shooting, like a, a, that poor of a, a stretch jump shooting, there's probably going something going on with your legs, right? So while she did suffer that Achilles injury, I have to wonder if it was just, if it was brought on by wear and tear. And I think the other factor to be considered, some of this slip might have to do with you know, playing major minutes next to Mercedes Russell instead of Natasha Howard. Like, there's just a little bit less room for Brianna Stewart to operate in and kind of do the things that make her so great. You know, Mercedes Russell is a very good player and in her own offense posts very good, you know, true shooting. Um, you know, she was second in the league in true shooting in her own right. And, you know, she's, she's a valuable player at what she does, but Natasha Howard was a face-up player that you could kind of station behind the arc and Mercedes Russell is going to be taking up space around the paint, or at least her defender is going to be taking up space around the paint. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of both of those factors, I would say. Do you think that's fair to kind of credit some of this to, you know, who Brianna Stewart is kind of playing her minutes next to? Or discredit in this case. But yes, I think that's very fair. Um, and you, you mentioned uh, Russell putting up good individual scoring numbers in her own right, but I think that's a good example of how individual scoring efficiency doesn't always translate to team scoring efficiency, or as, as, as we like to say, maximizing the talent of her teammates. And for Russell, you know, like, yeah, she's she's very good at what she does, but as a 
she's not going to be unlocking the the best offensive performances from her teammates, specifically Brianna Stewart. And I'm glad you brought up Natasha Howard because I think some of the uh, lapses in defense. You know, one of the things I think I was concerned about, at least, I don't remember. I don't remember what you thought, but heading into the season, I don't think either of us thought the Storm team was going to have as high of a defensive ceiling as it did in 2020, because. I mean, they lost Natasha Howard and they lost Alicia Clark, two of the best defenders in the WNBA. While Russell and uh, you know Talbot, they're good defenders for their position. They just don't provide that level of activity and that level of defensive playmaking on the defensive end of the court. So while the Storm, you know, they did kind of turn up the the defensive aggression in the second half of the season. There, I mean, it, it took those those losses took a an expected toll on the team's success. So I, I guess we should talk about Jewel Lloyd's season as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about kind of just, you know, the true shooting percentage drop off. And when you're splitting up between, you know, the two halves of the season, the three-point shooting remained pretty steady, but the two-point shooting really, really fell off in the second half. She shot 48% from two before the break and then 38.5% from two after the break and then 40% in the restricted area after the break after hitting that's surprising you know two-thirds of her shots uh in the restricted area before so Lloyd was just not really able to kind of maintain that efficiency and again we can kind of keep pointing you know I don't think there was anything structural like about the offense that wasn't you know necessarily any different maybe it was just kind of uh especially in Lloyd's case because she didn't really get the rest that the other two players got uh, Bird and Stewart, you know, they Lloyd never kind of got that those load management games. Um, but still, you know, when you just kind of take a, a, a large look at the season, you know, um, an overall look, it, it was a great season, obviously. First team all WNBA, 18, four and four on 54% true shooting, 37.5% from three, just a tick under 45% from two. And, you know, some of the kind of play type numbers, I think, might look a little bit worse than, than you might expect. You know, she was only the 48th percentile as a scorer in the pick and roll ball handler, 0.77 points per possession. Um, but it, it felt like, and, and, you know, this type of stuff isn't available publicly, at least kind of for what we have uh, information on. But I would imagine that there would also be a stark difference in splits before and after for like the pick and roll efficiency and stuff like that. Because in the first half, it seemed like she was kind of really finding her way as a pick and roll navigator, both, you know, creating for others and being able to score out of that. That's interesting. I'm wondering why that, that specific, why the efficiency in that specific play type would regress like that. Do you think she was just having more trouble? Do you think those numbers would just come from more trouble finishing at the rim? More trouble finishing at the rim. Maybe, you know, the, uh, the, pull-up jumpers not falling as much as well you know she did kill it in spot up and in transition you know those were kind of her two really strong play types but it it still kind of felt you know watching the season unfold that that she kind of was taking a little bit more you know just evolving more as like a a primary creator more so than someone that could just kind of kill you in spot ups and and really be effective in transition at least kind of anecdotally but then you know the numbers don't necessarily back that up that's a good point. That's a good point. It's a good observation. You know, when I, when I think of Jewel Lloyd, I, I would never say she's a playmaker first. I would say she's a play finisher first, then maybe like a secondary or tertiary playmaker. But you're right. She was, there were stretches, like particularly in the first half of this season, or it looked like Jewel Lloyd was the Storm's best player. Now, you could you could argue that and say, well, no, it's still Brianna Stewart. But I mean, she was, she was making a case for herself. But, you know, then it kind of regressed a little bit with the finishing and Again, I just think she was overtaxed in the second half of the season. She she looked fatigued. 
She did, especially, you know, the fourth quarter, some of those games, like we said. You know, Stephen, I, I think one thing I want to mention, and actually you're going to mention it, but I'm stealing it. Um, Jewel Lloyd, I think, has become an elite defensive player. But when she's – they put her on the opponent's best perimeter score most of the time, right? So if she's expending that kind of energy on defense, we can get into this later on, on why I like one of their offseason acquisitions so much. Um, if Jewel Lloyd is expending that much energy on defense and on offense – I think it makes sense, you know, that she wouldn't be scoring as efficiently as if she was kind of playing free safety out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do feel like both ends of that candle were burned a little bit too much in the second half. Like, I feel like, you know, her efficiency dipped a little bit offensively, and I feel like her defense slipped in the second half of the season as well. Like, I thought she was playing some really kind of all-league defense through most of the season, and to me, it did look like she got a little bit worn down at times in the second half of the season as well. So, yeah, having such a large load on both ends and being their best perimeter scorer and and also having, you know, to, to guard the best player each night. One example that comes to mind, you already mentioned it actually, was uh, the game they played in Chicago when neither Bird nor Stewart were playing. Um, Lloyd scored 26 points, played almost the entire game 39 minutes and 46 seconds but her 26 points came on 7 of 30 shooting from the field and i remember like watching that game and was saying okay like jewel jewel is killing this guy you know this is going to be an amazing game and she kind of the jump shot stopped falling in the second half she did record five steals in that game and i remember watching saying this is this is all this is all defense stuff from jewel lloyd um it just seemed like too much you know i i don't think she's We've said this before. I'm, I don't think Jewel Lloyd is the type of player who can carry a team. And that's no disrespect. He's obviously an amazing player. But when you look at, once again, the amount of energy that had to expend on both ends of the court, it caught up to her. Should we transition to um, the offseason and, and the upcoming season? Yeah, because there's a lot to talk about here as far as arrivals and departures. Uh, who do they get? Well, they brought in Breon January. They traded for Gabby Williams. They recently signed John Tell Lavender to a training camp contract. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're bringing in Makia Herbert Harrigan, who played, I believe, one minute for them in 2021. (laughs) They, of course, lost Jordan Canada to free agency and traded Katie Lou Samuelson in that Gabby Williams deal. So a much, I mean, you know, you say Jordan Canada is leaving, but this is still, when you look at kind of who they brought in, they brought in players with a specific purpose, and I think you were kind of alluding to that before with uh, maybe Jewel Lloyd's workload defensively. Can I just talk about that now? Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, okay, so I really love the Brian January signing, and whoever has listened to our podcast faithfully, one, I appreciate you. Two, you've probably already heard me talk about this, so you can check out for a second. Brian January, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, is one of the best off-ball defenders in the WNBA, one of the most active defenders in the WNBA, and a guard who really relishes that role of being that physical defender out there. On a team like this, when you have so much invested in your star players and you're really searching for that that right mixture, that right complement of, of, of role players to basically maximize what you're getting from your stars, a player like Brian January is super-duper important for the reasons we just described with Jewel Lloyd. The less energy Lloyd has to expend on defense, the more she can spend on offense and scoring the basketball. Um, at this point in her career, I don't think Brian January has any qualms of being just that I mean, we saw it last year in Connecticut, right? She was she relished that challenge of, of taking the um, the top perimeter scorer on the opposing team on defense. She doesn't mind. She's never minded getting her hands dirty. She's never minded making the the hustle play. Um, and that might sound like kind of meatball analysis, but I think there is something to it. So, 
this team did need kind of a little bit of dog, if you want to call it that, and I think Brian January fits that role perfectly. For as flawed as her offensive game, or as limited as her offensive game is now, obviously she's not putting much pressure on the rim anymore. Um, she can be somewhat hesitant shooting the outside shot, even though I think she is a good spot-up shooter. That's not something the Storm necessarily need from her, you know? Connecticut, maybe, last season, yeah, every every shot that Brian January didn't take or every open lane she didn't drive was going to be a problem because that team had so many... So many issues scoring in the half court, but Seattle, I mean, you have three of the best offensive players in the game. You don't need Brienne January to be an offensive stalwart. You just need her to take the pressure off them defensively, and I think she is the perfect complement for that. So, I mean, this is obviously going to be a big topic of conversation with us here. Do you kind of favor her as sort of like the fifth the fifth element in, in their kind of, you know, maybe she doesn't start, but as the fifth closer you know, come playoff time, like I think they're they're going to try all three of Gabby and yeah, Brian January and Steph Talbot. But you know, when when they actually start kind of going up against good teams in playoff series, is January kind of your favorite to to kind of secure that role in sort of a three guard lineup with Jewel sliding down to the three? I would say so. I would say so. You know, I am a Steph Talbot fan. I think she is uh, another very effective spot up player and one who actually like embraces that role you know i mean she, she takes the if she gets the open look she will shoot it although maybe not enough you know i think both of us would like to see her shoot the ball more often than that um so it is kind of an offense defense trade-off there but if you're getting into like you alluded to five game playoff series every possession down the stretch counts i think they would just like have having brand january out there to do the dirty work um and then gabby williams i'm not sure what role she would have as a closer in this lineup i i don't know Teams would ignore her beyond the perimeter, right? And I don't think she has that defensive stopper skill set either that they could at least lean on. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. You know, just kind of going through these options here, January is definitely the best defender of the group. And like you said, kind of the type of defender that I, I think they could really use, you know, a lock and trail defender who can just really kind of bust her butt chasing shooters around, getting around screens, ease the the burden from Jewel Lloyd to having to chase around an Allie Quigley or something like that, who's, you know, just too important offensively to fill that role. You know, I think Talbot's okay doing that, but January is probably the best in the game, you know? So January can defend multiple positions. You know, she can defend on the ball. She can guard one. She can guard twos. Probably a little bit small for most threes, but, you know, she can allow Bird to play off the ball a little bit more. Bird is obviously just a much more willing right. and probably better spot-up shooter than than her as well. I am a little worried that, you know, she might squeeze you a little bit offensively, you know, not as much as Jordan Canada, not as much as Gabby Williams, but the, you know, teams in the last couple of years have just been able to kind of play a half step further away from Brianne January on the weak side, because she is a little bit hesitant to kind of fire it up. And she's only at, you know, a tick under three threes per 36 minutes last season. I mean, that's less than, you know, Courtney Williams and, you know, she has a 12 over usage overall. So she's she really does not want to kind of shoot the ball at this point in her career, even though she's, like you were saying, a really, really quality three-point shooter. 38% from three for her career, 38% last year. She just doesn't really want to give you a ton of volume. As you were saying, you know, moving on to Gabby, I, I think she is like the most athletic, you know, she gives you the most athleticism, right? She can pass a little bit. Definitely. Not not the passer that Brian January is. I think January is the best passer in this group here. But I just don't think you can maximize Bird and Lloyd and Stewart as great as those players are. You know, playing two non-shooters in Gabby and, you know, whichever one of this team center is going to be closing, probably Mercedes Russell. She 
obviously has struggled from three for her career, just under 25% over her WNBA career. You know, she did show in her last season in Chicago that she can be a little bit more uh, of an efficient two-point scorer if you think that you can kind of extrapolate that to this environment. Uh, and, you know, 44% from two in EuroLeague is, is good enough as well, I think. But, you know, she probably just gives you a little bit less playmaking than you, you would hope for her archetype. Her assist-to-turnover ratio is not great. 4.6 assists per 36 minutes in her second year, which is really encouraging, but under three, uh, her other two seasons with, with fairly high turnovers. And, you know, I think she'll give you the most, you know, running the break in transition, but even Steph Talbot is kind of, you know, she's going to get out and run with you. Talbot is, uh, almost 28% of Steph Talbot's possessions last year came in transition. You know, she might not be the one dribbling it up, but she, she'll either bust out to the corner or, you know, run the lane lines. So Gabby, I think for me would be a solid third out of the three choices here. Uh, and then Steph Talbot, you know, gives you the most size at 6'2", gives you the most shooting, which is, you know, not saying a lot for this group, obviously, but uh, and less than four and a half threes per 36 minutes, uh, 45% three-point attempt rate. So less than half of her shots, which is maybe a little bit less, as you were saying, for a player in Talbot's role. But, you know, the other thing about that is, the one season where she was kind of in Minnesota and just like not really asked to do anything with the ball, you know, she kind of struggled. Like I think she, she is someone who wants to cut and and be a little bit more involved and kind of free flow in the offense a little bit more, but she is a a really, really great shooter over 40% from three last year, 37% for her career. And, you know, you don't think about her as a player that gives you a ton off the bounce, at least over in the WNBA, Uh, Obviously, in the WNBL, she's, um, you know, a focal point in the offense. But, you know, she's more than willing to be a driver attacking the closeout than Brianne January at this point, who, you know, maybe wants to take one or two dribbles and then kind of dish it back out. She had, Talbot had twice as many restricted area attempts as Brianne January last season and was in the 86th percentile as a pick and roll creator also. So, you know, she can do a little bit with the ball in her hands. So I do think that Talbot just kind of gives you the best balance of offense and defense. I th- I think they'll probably try January, right? They brought her in for big money. Like she's making 140K. Steph Talbot signed for a training camp contract. Like obviously January came in with an expectation of a certain role, but I just, I would not be surprised if Talbot ended up just kind of being the best fit for like what this team needs, you know, on both ends with her shooting and, and kind of what she can do defensively. Obviously not the defender as January, but, you know, a good enough one to where, you know, the drop-off offensively matters. Speaking of Stephanie Talbot, what makes this discussion interesting to me is that all three players are, are pretty different in their in their strengths and weaknesses. Last year, we were... Especially their weaknesses. Especially their weaknesses, right. Um Last year, we were watching who would win the minutes battle between Talbot and Samuelson, because there, I think, were two players who maybe were a little more redundant in their skill sets. Granted, three-point shooting is a good thing. It is okay to have more than one good three-point shooter at a position. But here, it's like, okay, if if you need three-point shooting, you know who your person is. It's Stephanie Talbot. If you need defense, you know who your player is. It's Brian January. So... Yeah, I, you know, now that Samuelson is off is off in LA, I'm wondering how much of Talbot's role is going to change. If she's going to be encouraged to shoot the ball more, because you know, like that's literally the only reason she's going to be out there. However, as you mentioned, she does like low key have some good pick and roll chops as well. You know, she made some good passes last season out of the pick and roll. Not going to um, not going to really pass anybody open, but you know, she can do it if she's asked to. So maybe a way to keep her more engaged. I don't know. 
yeah, you know, now that you mentioned, I, I would like to see her get some more minutes because I think she can do more than she's shown. Do you want to talk about the end of the rotation a little bit? So, I mean, the end I think, of the rotation. Yeah, yeah, I think we kind of know, or maybe not even the end of the rotation, but the end of the roster, I should say, because, you know, the, the big minute players on this team, obviously, you know, Bird, January, and Lloyd at the guards, Steph Talbot, Gabby Williams as your kind of three. I imagine Epiphany Prince will kind of slide into her lower minute role at this point. And then you have, I mean, this is oddly one of like the the few teams that ha- seems to have a lot more functional depth at the one through three than the four and five. It seems like every other team just kind of loads up on on bigs. And this team has more than enough like wings and guards to, to really carry them through. Uh, and then at the big spots, they have obviously Brianna Stewart, Mercedes Russell, and Ezzy Magbagor. So that leaves essentially two of... Uh, John Tell Lavender and the aforementioned Makia Herbert Harrigan, who they traded a first round pick for last offseason, and Kennedy Burke, who they also traded a first round pick for last season. Where should we start with these three? Is there, you know, I guess when, when you just kind of look at it, like the big position, they, they don't really have a fourth big, but any of these players can really kind of slide in at that change of, you know, for some of these, it's a more traditional four, you know, John Tell would obviously be that, but Makia Herbert-Harrigan and Kennedy Burke are kind of more, you know, modern fours. Yeah, that's, I, I thought of that as well. And what that's why the Janta Lavender acquisition was so interesting to me. For one, I do think she's going to have a spot on this team. I think she will make the team, but that's just a guess, honestly. But like, as you said, they have so many players who can kind of slide over. But a lot of these power four, a lot of the fours are kind of like threes moonlighting as fours or fours moonlighting as threes. I still don't know what Makia Herbert Harrigan's position is going to be. I mean, she really hasn't played that many WNBA minutes yet in her career. And Kennedy Burke, I've said this before, I think she's better suited to the four than the three. But if she's not going to take advantage of her her athleticism at the four, you know, if her ball skills and her outside shooting haven't improved, I'm I'm not sure if there are any minutes for her on this team, honestly, because and, and they, they look they, to have from Euroleague play, but you know, is that well, going to translate? Well, you know, who else plays well in EuroLeague is Gabby Williams. And they got Gabby Williams. So now you've got two, three, four players who are like, uh, theoretically, they could be something on defense. In fact, I know Kennedy Burke can be something on defense. But offensively, you know, they're going to be they're going to be ignored on the perimeter. So it's like a lot of overlapping weaknesses there. Um, so I, I think at this point in their respective careers, I think Lavender is the most, I mean, she's, she's obviously, you know what you're going to get from her. Um, and that's, a lot of outside jumpers with one foot on the line, but I digress. My question about her is, is she going to be a three-point shooter or no? Because in Athletes Unlimited, take this for what it will, she was shooting more threes. But throughout her career, she just hasn't really had that kind of consistency from there. As you put in our notes, 23% from three-point range. Yeah, and I mean, she's she's a decade in at this point. Yeah, so it's like, how how realistic is it to expect her to make that kind of adjustment? But I mean, she does provide size. She just does provide functional depth, as you said, which I think is a good term in this case. And you know what you're going to get out of her, you know, both good and bad. So, I mean, I guess I just look at Jontel Lavender and aside from Brianna Stewart, like, can she play with any of the other bigs on this roster? And I think you'd be really hard pressed to be able to, you know, play good offense with her next to Mercedes Russell or Ezzy Magbegor. Well, that makes me wonder, and this is something you asked previously, how much do they actually like Ezzy Magbiger? When they locked Mercedes Russell up to that huge deal, I think one of the things you said is, you know, I, this this may signal that they don't like Magbiger as much as we thought they did. Honestly, the first thing I, I thought when I saw they acquired Lavender is that, wow, they really don't trust Ezzy Magbiger. Because um, I think Magbiger at least has the, has the speed and the frame 
to play the four, but her position is also best at the five. So I don't know. Maybe you're just keeping Lavender around for extra depth, but if that was the case, I don't think she would have signed here, to be honest. Yeah, I, I do think she is, you know, a straight five at this point. I think even a couple of years ago, you know, she could give you some minutes at the four before kind of sliding into your backup center role, uh, John Tell Lavender. But, and she's obviously, you know, the most... I mean, I, I don't know McKee Herber-Harrigan. I don't know Kennedy Burke, but Jontel Lavender has a reputation of being just a great presence, you know, a, right. a player that every coach wants in their their locker room. And that's nothing against the other players. But, you know, Jontel Lavender, for a team like this, if you have an open roster, roster spot, you know, you, you probably just want her around to kind of be that that end of the rotation um, player who's going to kind of help with your culture and stuff like that. That's a good point. I mean, she's a veteran. She's won championship before. Um, and as, as, as much as I hate to throw those terms out there, I mean, it's, it's very real. As you said, teams like having her around. There's a reason why she's stuck around so long. Especially for like a coach who, you know, is coming into yeah. her first full season as a head right, coach. Right, right. Exactly. Noel Quinn, her, this is going to be her first full-time season as the Storms head coach. So yeah, she's going to want some veteran presence, um, some basketball IQ, if you want to say it that way, on the floor and in her locker room. So yeah, very good point. So the other two options here, Herbert Harrigan, you know, Again, a reputation as a shooter, a sort of a stretch for, but she's never really gotten high enough volume, you know, even dating back to college, over 40% her rookie year, over 40% her senior year in college, but combining her WNBA career in her four years in college, she's taken 123s. So not really, you know, someone that's gonna shoot a lot, or at least get the ball enough to shoot a lot. I mean, I don't know really what's kind of driving her volume so low specifically you know obviously in her rookie season in minnesota she didn't play a ton but we we just don't really know like what she is in the WNBA, and this team invested something in her but that was now last off season so maybe you know the the bite hurts a little bit less if you end up letting her go same thing for burke again uh, traded a first round pick for her last off season so it seems likely that one of those two players are, are not going to make this team if they brought in john tell lavender who I imagine had opportunities elsewhere. You know, Herbert Harrigan is an interesting case because I think she, again, I think she's more of a four. I've seen people say that she can play a three, like, but that, again, like you said, I don't know, I don't know, very low volume three point shooting, and and she's she's proven to excel at the four. That's the thing; she can be a defensive playmaker out there. So I'm like, why would you, why would you put her out of position just to account? I don't know. I. I don't, I don't really think she has the foot speed to guard a lot of threes. Uh, I, I just think she's a four. You know, she's a power forward. Yeah, and it's like we haven't seen it. Like, she, she missed mostly all of last season. So do you really want to bring her in to be defending WNBA wings? I don't think so. Um, okay, so that's actually a good segue into uh, your upcoming rant on the Seattle Storm's asset allocation or asset management. Go ahead. Well, I, yeah, I did just want to touch on this for a moment because the last – Three off seasons uh, dating back to the season before the bubble, they moved down four spots in the first round to trade for Morgan Tuck uh, before that 2020 season, who unfortunately, of course, had her career cut short due to injury. You know, but that was still a, f- a first round pick for a player you were hoping would be your third big, and maybe that's you know n- not a big deal, something that you can kind of trade that pick for because you did get the 11th pick back in that that draft, so you traded down from seven to 11. But then you use the 11 pick on a draft and stash player, Katia Laksa, who they cut last training camp, never played a game for the Seattle Storm. I think a player who can probably contribute to the WNBA, but, you know, not for Seattle, obviously. Uh, then last offseason, they, of course, uh, the Natasha Howard trade and everything like that. They ended up getting the first overall pick, which they traded for a single season of Katie Lou Samuelson. They traded Phoenix's 
pick in this upcoming draft for Makia Herbert Harrigan. They traded their own pick on draft night for Kennedy Burke. And then this offseason, they, they traded their first to get Gabby Williams. So that's, you know, five first round picks, in, including passing up on drafting a Watt Queer. And maybe all of that will result in one okay season of Katie Lou Samuelson, who was probably, you know, their sixth best player last year. And then if all goes well, maybe Gabby Williams ends up being an impact player for them. And, you know, I don't think either one of us are, are really kind of counting on that. So a lot of burned draft capital to kind of, I mean, I feel like this is something that Phoenix gets torched for all the time in, uh, you know, we, we say how much they don't value young players and they kind of punt on draft picks and Seattle has done as, as bad of a job as, as any other team out there. I'm just glad the discussion has turned away from the sky missing on draft picks. But anyway, yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, the one, I'm going to keep going back to the uh, the queer thing because I, I think she would have been a really solid player for this team. And if you look at this team, I mean, Superd, this is probably her last go, right? You don't know what's happening with Brianna Stewart after this season. Wouldn't a lot queer look good as a future building block for this team? I still don't understand, and, and they already got Talbot, so why did they go out and get Samuelson as well? And then they trade, and then they trade Samuelson for a player who's even who's an even worse fit on this roster. Like, we didn't like the Samuelson trade because it's like you're trading the first overall pick for Katie Lou Samuelson, really. But she was at least offensively a decent fit next to the Storm's best offensive players. Now you bring in Gabby Williams, who is not a good offensive fit with the Storm's best offensive players, and it's like these, like you said. I understand that, you know, okay, maybe Natasha Howard didn't want to stay. She wanted to, uh, you know, have a bigger role in New York or whatever. Fine. You can't afford to call her. You want to save that money for the future. One thing I think... You also, you know, you, you got to keep your books clean this offseason. You can't sign Alicia Clark to a multi-year deal yeah, in the last offseason. I, I understand that as well. Sue Bird ends up taking the veteran minimum. And how did they use that? Yeah, to me, that was just... I mean, again, like this team, you can only kind of be so harsh on them because they were able to bring back Bird and Lloyd and Stewart... They re-signed, you know, their starting center to a lot of money. A lot of money, yeah. Um, but it, to me, it was just a massive whiff to end up getting Bird on the minimum, and that savings goes to Gabby Williams and, you know, Brian January, a signing that we both like, but and and then you know, big money for Mercedes Russell. Like it, I, I think this team could have had like star aspirations in free agency, and you know, they ended up with Gabby Williams instead. And that's of course no disrespect to anybody involved, but I, I think this. It's it, to me, it really signals like, okay, this is the last go. You know, they're gonna they're gonna go all in for a championship despite acquiring some weird fits on, on this year's roster. But they don't really have. I'm not gonna say they don't have a plan because I'm not there. But the future is clearly not a priority for them, right? Because like like you like you kept saying, they keep lighting all these assets on fire. They keep punting all their draft picks for players who may or may not make an immediate impact. So it's like, what's this team going to look like if Bird retires and Stewart leaves? Then you have Jewel Lloyd, who we've already said is overtaxed as a primary option. And you don't really have any way to kind of reload there. So you've got big money locked into Mercedes Russell, who is going to be your second best player. I don't know. And I know Nancy Magbergor, who probably, you know, that fit with Russell just isn't that good playing those yeah, two players together. She should probably be starting at the five, but, you know, you, she's is now being blocked by this paint bound center who are investing a lot of money. I know this is just a 2022 outlook. But I don't think you can just look at it in a vacuum like that when you talk about asset allocation and, and, and draft picks and stuff like that. I don't know what the Storm are doing as far as beyond the 2022 season. All right. Should we move on? 
yeah, let's move on. Um, I mean, like at the end of the day, this is still going to be a very good team. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, because one thing you, you talked about a lot last season is that you would rather see the storm go with all bench lineups um, when they're rushing their starters rather than staggering their best players. Do you still feel this way? So, yeah. So essentially, you know, do you want to maximize the time that Bird and Lloyd and Stewart all play together? Or do you kind of want to make sure that some combination of those three are, are on the court at all time? And honestly, I, that's probably a driving factor in the Gabby Williams trade is someone who can, in theory, do a little bit more offensive creation on the second unit. You know, whether whether she's able to do that remains to be seen. But I guess like the two kind of very valid, I think, schools of thought, like if you if you wanted to say either one of these, uh, I don't think, you know, you, you could get too much objection. But the first is, you know, they have these two superstars and one other, you know, despite her age and limitations, could probably still be considered, you know, a star point guard who complement each other very, very well. And lineups with these three players typically just really crush other teams. So, you know, maximize that time together. You know, if these three players together have a 17 net rating, you know, you want 30 minutes of, of that 17 net rating rather than, you know, 22 uh, with, you know, more kind of, um, I guess, what you know, staggerability kind of spread out throughout that. And then the other side of that coin, of course, is like this team really struggled to create second unit offense. So having one of these two stars or maybe two of these three stars on the court at all times, you know, gives you something, gives you kind of a theory offensively at all times. And again, I think at least you know, best case scenario that that's kind of what Gabby Williams is on this roster for to drive some offense. And then they have, you know, Brian January who can, you know, she's a point guard by trade, you know, maybe not the score that she, she used to be, or even the dribble penetrator or anything like that. But like Gabby isn't here because she maximizes like her skill set maximizes the other stars. Like, so she has to be here to kind of, you know, run the show a little bit offensively. So, but I, I do think, you know, I'm still kind of in that, that first, school of thought because these these players they do they complement each other so well you can just really you know maximize that time together and really count on those teams you know kind of giving you the lead and then maybe the second unit they they either are able to get out in transition or when they're have to play in the half court you know play more of a kind of slow down style but Lloyd and and Stewart and Bird those three players we've just seen them really be able to they talents Lloyd and Stewart specifically, you know, maybe, maybe you play bird a little bit more with the second unit because she's, you know, a, a really good outside shooter. She can kind of take some of the pressure off Gabby Williams and, and Brianne January, but I'm still of the thought of just do as, as best as you can with, you know, push all your chips in with these three players, um, sharing the court together and then kind of, you know, let your bench do, <laughs> do their best to not give up the lead. Try what, not to give up yeah, the lead, right? What do you think? Yeah, I can see where you're coming from for that. The one thing about Bird is, if they are indeed going to be limiting her minutes, as you said, that wasn't really as much of a thing last season as we expected, but if they are going to be limiting her minutes, I would rather see her make the most of those minutes and play alongside their other best players. Yeah, that, that's um, a good point. You know, maybe there's no reason for her to even kind of play in some of those anchoring the second unit lineups. I do agree that she in January would be an interesting fit because January would obviously cover for her defensive limitations and she would cover for January's offensive limitations. Although there's not really much dribble penetration in that backcourt, but yeah, I mean, unless bird is for some reason playing 32, 33 minutes a game. Uh, I'm not seeing how many minutes she's going to, I am kind of curious, like who is, you said Gabby Williams is going to be driving the offense on the second unit, 
but her her large stint at point guard back in Chicago was not exactly a success. So would that just be from transition or or what? I mean, I imagine it looks a lot like you know, if you're Seattle, if you're kind of coming up with a Gabby Williams trade and you're talking yourself into it, you're thinking that your second unit offense maybe looks a lot like Sopron where she does get out in transition and then in the half court, she just has the ball in her hands a lot. And, you know, maybe she's running more second side actions with Brian January, her, her Sopron teammate in second units, but a lot of the offense is coming from her and coming from dribble penetration. You know, I, I think we're both in agreement that that's not really going to work at this level, but I think that's at least the idea of it. Well, the one thing that's definitely not going to work is parking Williams in the corner and letting opponents just not care about her, right? So I would rather see her have the ball in her hands. Um, yeah, interested to see what Noel Quinn cooks up here because this is this is going to be an interesting bench unit for sure. All right, let's get into kind of the strengths and weaknesses of this team before we kind of wrap up. For the strengths, I mean, I think this should still be a really great defense. Pretty much every roster move they made I think was defensive minded more so than offensive minded they should have really great perimeter defense you know bird notwithstanding but I think she's still like you know a solid team defender she knows kind of where to help off she's always been good at digging in the posts and stuff like that if you have one bad defender and it's at point guard sink your entire lineup defense yeah exactly you know you should be in pretty good shape especially if you're you have the quality of defensive depth at the the four other spots that this team does they have two great defensive bigs, obviously, in Russell and Stewart starting. Magbiger fits into their scheme, or what has been their scheme at least pretty well, being able to get out onto the floor uh, you know, with her, her mobility and stuff like that. Another strength, I think, is overall lineup versatility. You know, They can just really throw out a lot of different types of lineups that, that should be able to be pretty competent. They can play the three guards together. They can go more traditional with Talbot at the three. They have versatility at center you know they have russell who can really match up against like the biggest centers they have a more mobile center in azzy as as we kind of talked about before although you know realistically i'm not sure if there's really any scenarios you know you you just go team by team against the best teams and you know how many of them are you really going to put Ezzy in over mercedes russell at this point probably probably not that many i think they are going to be a good passing team you know their three stars are all plus passers for their positions i think January, I think, still has some passing chops left in her. Talbot, I think, is, you know, if she's your fourth or fifth player, you could do worse for passing than than Steph Talbot. Gabby Williams, of course, has creation burden in her history, uh, whether it, it drives efficient offense or not. I have a couple more, but anything else jump out to you? Echoing the passing, I, I think one aspect of Brianna Stewart's game that maybe gets overlooked a little bit is she is a really darn good passer, particularly in transition, you know, handling the rock and just fluidly getting the ball out as as the as the handler in transition. So I think if you have like a potential Stuart Williams pairing, I think there's some opportunity for some uh, for some fireworks in transition. But yeah, I mean you've hit on everything that I would have said. So keep going. Yeah, transition offense is is definitely one that I wanted to hit on. You know oh, okay. when when you have Bird, Lloyd, Stewart, Steph Talbot, like you're going to be pretty good in transition. Gabby Williams obviously much more effective in the open court than in the half court. They were number one in transition efficiency last year, number three in frequency. Brianna Stewart's 75 transition possessions last year was the second highest for any big in the league uh, behind only Derricka Hamby, who had 77. So, you know, she's just going to give you as much transition volume as any other big in the league. Lloyd was top five overall in the league last year in total transition possessions. And just in terms of efficiency, just better at it than a lot of those other high volume players. And then of course, you know, you got to say the star power, like this team has two first team 
all league players and two of the best six or seven players in the world probably and then another third aging complimentary star in Sue Bird so as much as I think that this team maybe failed to kind of maximize this offseason in the last chapter of you know Sue Bird and her taking the veteran minimum they they still have these two great great players who play together and complement each other as well as two superstars could pretty much you know there's a reason why we spent so much time harping on the end of the bench it's because the starting lineup does not really have many weaknesses um so I definitely agree with you. I, I could see like this team. I, I could see this team just like sweeping a championship series still, just because of their amount of star power. If Stewart comes back healthy, if Bird stays healthy for the season, if Lloyd plays at her best, like that's still a trio of, of star players that is among the best of the best. And it is, of course, a stars league. And even if you don't have the ideal supporting cast around them, which which stars in the league do, you know? So yeah, I can I definitely agree with you on that uh, star power, of course. And one more thing I want to add particularly regarding the passing, I don't know how much you put into this, but this team really has a culture that, you know, it started with, with Dan Hughes being hired. So I'm, I'm assuming Noel Quinn being on his, on his staff is going to try to continue this. They they have no problem playing unselfish basketball. They know how to move the ball. They, they enjoy passing the ball and getting good shots. They know how to hunt good shots. They know how to hunt efficient shots. You know, I never worry about this team falling into cold offensive spells because they're being too selfish. So not only do they have really, really talented star players, but those star players play very well with one another and play very well with whoever they're being supported by in terms of complimentary players. So Yeah, and I will say, like, one of the things I was kind of worried about coming into this past season was, like, losing Alicia Clark, who was, like, one of the best kind of extra pass role players in the league. But I think that that culture has kind of held strong. Okay, weaknesses. You know, spacing. I think this team can play lineups. If this team plays lineups that they want to play instead of the lineups that they should play, you know, a lot of Gabby, a lot of January at the expense of Talbot, you know, Ezzy Magbiger and Mercedes Russell playing together on the second unit, or maybe that's John Tell Lavender and one of the other traditional centers. I can see a way where this team really only has like one lineup they can go to that can really space the floor as effectively as you know, the best offenses in the league uh, and, and as effectively as you would like to around a Lloyd and Stewart foundation. And even with that lineup, you're playing Mercedes Russell, a, a traditional paint-bound center. Okay. One I would like to add is durability. I already talked about this at the beginning of the show, but I mean, I think if there is one thing that'll sink this team, it is, you know, their star players just wear down at the end of the season. For as much as they have invested in those three players, I mean, this is probably going to be birds last year. Um, Stewart is coming off another injured Achilles. Obviously, you know, medical science and, and um, athletic training have advanced to the point where Achilles injuries are, are no longer the career enders that they once were. So thank goodness for that. But there's still a pretty significant injury, right? I'm wondering if she's going to be on a load management program. And if she is, how much does that put on Lloyd's shoulders? You know, it, it kind of all plays into each other. So if those players aren't healthy, then this team has no shot. Uh, second unit offense, I think, is still going to be a team that this, I mean, uh, uh, an area that this team struggles with. Like I was saying, I think maybe philosophically, you know, anytime this team, this second unit can't get out in transition, those opportunities aren't available. You know, just kind of grind things out in the half court and minimize the total number of possessions that you're playing without your stars. Because I just don't really see any path to lineups with January and Gabby and Epiphany Prince and Ezzy Magbegor. 
Like, how does that team score efficiently? Uh, and, you know, There's a lot no of shot creation. Yeah, a lot of backup offenses are bad, but I think this this one has a chance to be especially bad, you know, relative to other good teams, I would say. Offensive rebounding, you know, not a big deal, not really something that I would prioritize philosophically, especially for a team that I think is so good in transition defense, but I would not expect them to be a good offensive rebounding team. They they usually aren't. And then, you know, I don't think this is necessarily a weakness, like they'll be in the bottom four, but, you know, nobody on this team outside of Lloyd and Stewart can get to the line at all. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, Bird obviously has not been... Um a player who gets into the paint or gets to the line much in her career. Mercedes Russell, you know, she's big, but not really going to shoot a ton of free throws. And then their wings, you know, like there, there aren't many players out there. Brian January, another one. Their wings, there aren't that many players who are just going to look to attack the basket over and over and over again. So, yeah, that's definitely a weakness, especially if you're hunting for efficient offense. Like, well, that, that kind of plays into the, uh, the whole second unit offense idea, right? Like, who on that second unit is going to be creating offense and or getting efficient points I, I don't think anybody and then this is not so much uh, a weakness but more of just a question about this team like traditionally this team has been the most aggressive defense essentially in, in the WNBA with Gary Kloppenberg on this coaching staff Klopp is no longer there like I, I wonder what their defensive identity will be are they still going to force a ton of turnovers are they still going to kind of get out on the floor trap pick and rolls they already took a massive step back in that department last year under Noel Quinn. They were seventh in 2021 in opposing turnover rate after being second each of the previous two seasons. So does Noel Quinn like believe in that defensive philosophy? And really, you know, aside from Atlanta in particular lineups, you know, when you had Monique Billings and Crystal Bradford at the two big spots, like nobody else in the league really kind of plays that hyper aggressive defensive scheme. Um, so, you know, does Noel Quinn and, and her new coaching staff kind of believe in that or did they kind of go back to a more traditional scheme? That's a good question. I'm not sure if their dip in enforcing opposing turnovers had as much to do with coaching as it did with simply not having Natasha Howard on their team. But I'm not a thousand percent certain. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it probably is more personnel based because they still anecdotally were playing the same way you know it was still Mercedes Russell and Brianna Stewart and Ezzy Magberger were still you know haunting ball handlers and stuff like that they just weren't able to kind of replicate the, the turnover numbers I guess but maybe okay so maybe you, you talk about the second unit and but the second unit grinding it out so you think the second unit is going to be is going to be playing slow I mean I, I'm not saying I, I think that I'm saying that's probably what they should do okay okay because I'm saying like usually if you're not if you're struggling to create your own offense, you're trying to make up for it on the defensive end. But yeah, that, that's a good thing to watch for. We'll we'll keep an eye on for it. All right, final thoughts here with this team. You know, where where do you kind of see them in the league hierarchy? Right now, I could, like I said, I could see them just sweeping a championship series just on the back of their star talent. Um, I could also see them flaming out like they did towards the end of the last season. But I'm leaning towards them once again being one of the elite teams in the league. It's hard to sustain elite success over and over and over, year by year by year. Um, but the Storm team is obviously still much closer to being championship caliber than just being like middle of the pack or, or last playoff team in. So I would say, I mean, they can't be any worse in second tier, right? Yeah, and I think one thing that I think might be different about like kind of the, the Sue Bird last call type season is that she's not their best player. You know, this is not Tamika Catching's last season or something like that, um, or Sylvia Fowles' last season. You know, she's she's their third best player. They they have two bona fide superstars that, you know, if, if Sue Bird 
plays like a 40 year old, yeah, it's going to hurt them, but they still have exceptional high end talent without her. That's a good point. Yeah. But with that being said, you know, I, I think I said in the Connecticut episode that I had Connecticut in a, as like a tier one team with Chicago, but I think I kind of have Chicago and Seattle, you know, as the, the two kind of co-favorites with maybe uh, Connecticut in like a, a little bit of a, a lower standing than, than those two co-faves. Once again, it's a star-driven league, and Seattle has a really, really darn good starting lineup with two, like you said, elite-level players. So until they prove otherwise, like last year, I think just a lot went wrong for the Storm, both, you know, like make-or-miss defense and um, their, their star players getting injured and kind of wearing down at the end of the season. If that doesn't happen, like they could have very well won the championship again. So um, like I said, I think they're closer to winning another championship than they are totally flaming out. Um, and for that reason... Yeah, I think first tier is, is very fair. Oh, can I plug one thing really quickly? Oh, yeah, please, plug it, plug away. Yes. Okay, so as you may or may not have, have probably heard, um, the WNBA draft is coming up, which means I have another uh, mock draft coming up over on Swish Appeal, and I'm very excited because this one will actually be posted, I believe, on the SB Nation main page, so everyone can control it, basically. Um, but no, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, this is something I work very, very hard at every season and um that will be out i believe wednesday the 6th april 6th or maybe the 5th i don't know we'll see what happens but um around the middle of next week my mock draft will be dropping so um thank you so much in advance for reading and thank you so much in advance for the engagement it uh it really makes it worth it so thank you all right well thank you all so much for listening if you want to support the show which is always appreciated you can follow rate and review on apple podcasts Spotify and Google Podcasts as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Mchok at Nemchok E. You can follow myself at Trinkwald, and we'll be back uh, next week. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care.